Last week, we, uh, we began a study in the Old Testament. You know, every now and then we, we go visit the Old Testament, and there's some great lessons to learn. And, and uh, the title of that message was The High Cost of Unbelief and Disobedience. And, or, or maybe another title for it is Lessons from Some Hard-Headed Hebrews. Okay? Because there was one common theme through, through much of that teaching is, man, some of those folks Moses had to put up with, they were hard-headed. Now, you and I as Cajuns probably don't have much room to talk, okay? I know your pastor has no room to talk, because as you know, my nickname growing up was Tet Dur. So if your nickname is Hardhead, you know that, that I probably can't throw stones, okay? But here's the deal. I'm not throwing stones tonight, but I'm trying to learn lessons, okay? And, um, and just a few of the lessons we touched on for those of you that weren't with us last week. Um, we, we picked up a couple reminders like, God knows what's best for us. Imagine that. Okay, you know, sometimes we think we know what's best, but Don, God knows best. Even when we can't figure out what he's doing. You ever been in a situation where you couldn't figure out what God was doing? Well, the good news is you don't have to. Okay, I've got good news for you. You don't have to figure it out because God has already figured it out and he knows what's best for us. Another reminder that, that, that seems so simple, but, but you know, we Christians get in trouble sometimes when we forget what we should know. Okay, And one of those reminders last week was God keeps His promises. If God has given you a promise, and God gave the children of Israel a whole bunch of promises, and there seem to be times because of circumstances, maybe because of problems, maybe because of no water in a desert. I mean, I know us in South Louisiana, uh, you know, we've never had no water problems, okay? But, but, uh, but maybe they forgot sometimes that God keeps His promises. And then, of course, God will lead you if you will follow how did he lead his children during the time in ex- or, or in the wilderness? Fire by night, cloud by day. I mean, he was making it really simple, okay? I mean, follow the cloud, follow the fire, okay? But, but again, it's up to us to follow him. It's up to us to obey. So uh, we, also, we also found a few situations where, where the Lord was working on their behalf. And, and for some reason, they just kept complaining and kept murmuring and kept griping and and all that good stuff, you know, I'm, I'm glad that ain't this church no more, okay? When I was a youth pastor, y'all used to gripe a lot. I'm glad y'all don't gripe at the pastor anymore, okay? Thank you for doing that, okay? Uh, there's some other churches that gripe at their pastors. I'm glad we're not one of them, okay? But uh, we learned a few lessons. But if you remember, it all started, it all started in Deuteronomy chapter number one. And I want to read that to you. I actually have the the New Living Translation, which is kind of where I got this sermon or this series just a long time ago. I was kind of reading through my Bible. I'm reading through the Bible again uh, this year. And uh, this was something that just kind of got my attention. That's why we're learning some lessons from these hardheads. So uh, check out what happened. And this is what it says in the New Living Translation, Deuteronomy chapter number one. These are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. They were camped in the Jordan Valley near Suf between Paran on one side and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Diazabub on the other. Normally, this is the thing that jumped out at me, normally it only takes 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barna, going by the way of Mount Seir, but 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt. You know, when I read that, Shane, I just stopped. And I said, 11-day journey took them 40 years. Why? And of course, we understand, and, and we're going to get to the big why, the big reason why, but, but obviously, unbelief will cost you so very much. 
You know, I, I think I read a quote to you that I, that I got from a pastor friend of mine, Jack Osteen, that says, unbelief costs us so very much. Unbelief costs us some of the greatest blessings that God wants to give us, simply because we don't believe Him. Simply we don't believe He is who He says He is, and He can do what He says He can do. So unbelief and disobedience cost the children of Israel a whole lot of time. So why are we trying to learn lessons from them? Because as I reminded you last week, I believe we're living in the last days. And we don't have 40 years to waste. Okay? We don't have 40 years to waste. We, we, uh, you know, we, we need to redeem the time. We need to use our time wisely. Okay? As we get older, we understand time is an important quantity, isn't it? <laughs> time is an important quantity. You know, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, you know, one of the big questions I wanted to ask those doctors concerned time. Doctor, how much time I got left? Okay? And, and I praise the Lord that, that you know, dad was diagnosed in, in the fall and, and he's doing better today than he was then. And I praise God. But I understand also, my dad's not getting any younger. So I'm redeeming the time. I'm taking opportunity to, to, uh, to spend some time with him. So why? Because time is important. You don't get that back. Okay? When we're young, we waste time because we, we think time's not that big of a deal. Brother Bernie, time's kind of important now, isn't it? We learn that we, as we get older, we better invest our time. Don't just waste our time. So again, let's learn a few lessons from these hard-headed Hebrews, okay? Um, so we talked about different things. We also reminded, uh, of course, that blessings follow obedience. And we were reminded or encouraged to keep doing the right thing, and God's going to bless us for it. So we're going to pick up our study In Exodus chapter number 17. Exodus chapter number 17. So basically we've kind of seen a couple different situations. They needed water. God gave them water. They were hungry. So God dropped some manna on them. Gave them some quail. I mean, he's like taking great, great care of his people. Imagine that. And in verse number 17, or chapter number 17, we're going to kind of get back, pick up where we were. Chapter number 17 of Exodus, I'm reading out of the NIV version. Verse number 1 says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Again, they're forgetting that that God's in control. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Moses at least had sense enough to take his request up the ladder. Okay, The Lord answered, Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Really? Did they really ask that kind of question? I mean, I understand needing some water. I understand being thirsty. I understand maybe even giving the leader a hard time. I can understand all that. But did they really just ask, is the Lord among us or not? You know, guys, the enemy 
The enemy wants to discourage you. He wants to fill your heads with lies. He wants to get us to forget who God is and that He can do what He says He can do. And it worked for these hard-headed Hebrews. So let's learn a lesson, okay? All you hard-heads out there, and by the way, I'm talking to myself. When I point one finger at you, i got three pointing back at me, okay? We're all on... The great thing about having a Cajun as your pastor is I can talk about you because I is one, Okay? Not good grammar, but you understand what I'm saying, okay? But here's the deal, guys. We need to learn lessons and just be reminded that the enemy's going to try to discourage us. The enemy's going to try to attack us. He's going to try to get us to doubt that the Lord is who he says he is. But guys, we need to be remembered. Not only is the Lord for us, but no weapon formed against us could even prosper. Amen? So let's learn some lessons from these Hebrews. Did they really have the audacity to ask, is the Lord among us or not? Now, I was just going to kind of paraphrase a few things, but when I was studying this afternoon between fires and all that other crazy stuff, by the way, you have a pastor that puts out fires in a bunch of different ways. Okay, um, I, I decided to actually go through that. I think the Lord wanted me to kind of touch on this because the rest of chapter number 17 is a great study on intercessory prayer. And guys, we cannot forget the power of prayer. We realize that in Hebrews chapter number 5, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. It makes a difference. When we pray, things happen. Sister Josie shared on Monday night at prayer meeting a little boy that that had drowned and that literally was was fighting for his life is, uh, is miraculously touched by the power of God. Because people prayed. People touched God. Prayer changes things. So I just want to remind you of that. And, and, and again, this is not the point of this message, but I think somebody needs to be reminded of this. If you're believing God for something, if you're praying, here's, here's a reminder that you're not wasting your time. You're making a difference. Verse number 8. The Amalekites came and they attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God. In my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Now, here's an amazing thing, and you know this story. For those of you that haven't, it's, an, it's a great story. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. I wonder how long it took them to figure all that out. <laughs> okay, I wonder, I wonder, because again, we're dealing with hard-headed Hebrews, right? <laughs> okay, so I wonder, I wonder if they just thought it was a coincidence. You know, Moses puts his hand down for just a second. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he was kind of like me, a little ADHD. He was distracted by something, okay? And next thing you know, the, the battle seems to turn, and, and so Moses begins to intercede, because that's what Moses is doing. I mean, he's just not waving at folks. He doesn't want to be a target, okay? He's praying. He's interceding. He has the staff of God in his hands. He's, he's asking God to give them favor, and as long as his hands are up high... Israel's prevailing whenever his hands goes down. Because again, we get weary, okay? You know, when we, we sing the same song maybe one or two many more times, okay? We, you, ever, you ever get a little, 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 you know? You ever seen, um, man, who's that comedian that does the different ways Christians hold their hands? Who is that guy? Is it Mark Lowry? It's, there's, a, there's an amazing, you need to YouTube that. How do you, I'll, I'll tell you next week. But, but, you know, different ways to hold your hands. And it's kind of just all funny, okay? But, but there have been times... My arms get a little tired. I got big old arms, okay? So sometimes I'll get down here. And, and I don't know what the case was, but Moses' arms were getting tired. And, and they realized that when his arms went down, Israel 
was, was on the lower end of the battle. The Amalekites were winning. But when his arms got up high, when, when he was worshiping, when he was praying, the, the Israelites were prevailing. So, so here's what they decided to do. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. That's a good idea. But here's the powerful thing. Aaron and Hur held his hands up. One on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Guys, this is a twofold thing of intercessory prayer. Moses praying for victory, the leader praying for his people, and the people praying for their leader. You know, guys, I think I've shared this with you before, but you know, one of the things that I miss the most during my time not pastoring, okay, prior to coming here, I. Um, I was in the district office, okay? And, and, and one of the things I miss the most about pastoring is knowing that people are praying for me, okay? Now, I know when you're in the district office, I mean, every now and then, you'll send a little blessing that way. You know, Lord bless those guys, okay? But, but, but you know what? It's different when you're praying for your pastor. I know Annalie prays for me. I know she does. I know people like that pray for me. I, I know Josie prays for me. I know that. I know Debbie prays for me. I know that and I feel that. And, and that's something that I do not take for granted. Okay? But guys, there's something to be reminded of, 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 of just a beautiful picture of here of the power of prayer. The power of when the leader prays for the people. And I commit to commit, continue to do that. Those of you that have made those commitments to be givers, to tithe, I pray over those on a regular basis. Those that have made missions commitments, I pray over those on a regular basis. Ask the Lord's blessing over you, over, over all that we do. So I'm praying for you, but I want to challenge you guys. I need you to continue to pray for me. I need you to continue to lift my hands up, okay? So keep doing it. Why? Because it makes a difference. Look at this story. When Aaron and Hur got up under Moses and they lifted his hands up, the Israelites won a great battle that day. It's the power of prayer. It's the power of intercessory prayer. You and I standing in the gap one for another. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. Make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and he called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against Amalekite from generation to generation. So guys, let's not forget our roles. My job is to pray for you. Your job is to pray for me. Let's do that. And I believe just like the children of Israel, We'll have great victory after victory. Amen? All right. Let's, uh, the rest of chapter uh, 17, of course, we just talked about. And then about a year goes by, okay? About a year goes by if you read through, through uh, where we were in Exodus up until, um, up until the numbers, chapter number 10 or 11. Basically, God is giving the law, okay? It's taken some time for God to just articulate all that he wants his children to do. Uh, uh, Moses goes up on the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments. And while he's up on the mountain, the, the hard-headed Hebrews were hard-headed Hebrews and, and they forget that God was who he says he is and he could do what he said he could do. So Moses came down and he was a little upset and he broke the tablets and then God had to make some more. And Okay, you, you know all this story. But, but about a year goes by as God is giving all the law to Moses and and the people are, are, are beginning to follow God. They're beginning to learn more about God. And then we come to Numbers chapter number 10. Numbers chapter number 10. We're almost to the big part. Okay, this is kind of, you know, you start and you want to finish. But on Wednesday nights, I'm allowed to run a couple little rabbit trails. But on Numbers chapter number 10, verses 11, uh, we read, 
on the 20th day of the second month of the second year. Okay, So they've been at this for about a year. It's the beginning of the second year, second month. The cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of testimony. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai, traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out the first time at the Lord's command through Moses. So, so we have... Um, we're moving again. We're, we're heading toward the promised land. We're getting where God wants us to go. They're on their way to the promised land. Surely by now, God has gotten all that unbelief out of them, right? Surely by now, remember, they're getting manna every day. God is taking care of them. They've realized that their shoes hadn't wore out yet. I mean, this is good stuff. God is taking care of his people. Surely no more unbelief, no more problems. Oh, happy day. We're going to the promised land, right? wrong, okay? Because we read in uh, Numbers chapter number 11, now the people complained about their hardships. Come on, Hebrews. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard this, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed, God for Moses, to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the place was called Taborah, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing, started complaining, continued to let their unbelief manifest in ways that were displeasing to the Lord. I mean, here's the deal, guys. They didn't just get Moses upset. They got God upset, okay? God had got tired of their humbug, okay? And, and thank God Moses was able to intercede, okay? But check this out. In verse number, or, or in my notes right here in my study Bible, it says this. The people complained. After only three days into their journey, the people began to grumble and complain because circumstances were not ideal. Okay? Now look, think about it. Um, the, the other times they complained, the other times they had problems, there was no water in the desert. Now guys, i got to tell you, that's a big deal. Okay? I mean, physically, I think you can only survive three days without water. So hey, if you're not getting any water in the desert, you've got a real reason to complain. But, but we don't even know why they're complaining here. They're just griping, and, and basically God had had enough of it. I don't know if the real bad complainers were on the outskirts, and that, that's, who got, that's who got fried. But, but God was upset here. He, he got tired of it. The people began to grumble and complain because circumstances were not quite ideal. How quickly they forgot their deliverance from slavery. God's mighty acts on their behalf. They would not trust God and commit their lives and future to Him, which brought on them God's anger and judgment. Now, as New Testament believers, we must never stop being grateful for Christ's sacrificial death for us, for our deliverance from sin, and God's gracious provision for guidance and blessings in our life. Guys, it's just a reminder. Let's not forget to be thankful. You know, every, every pastor every year at Thanksgiving preaches a sermon on thankfulness. Okay, it's just what we're supposed to do. Okay, I think when I got my ordination, it says you preach on thankfulness at Thanksgiving. Okay. I don't know, but, but seriously, that's usually a good time we do it. But you know what? The problem is we forget about it the other 51 Sundays. We forget how thankful we're supposed to be. We forget how blessed we should be. You know, guys, as... Um, as a youth pastor, there were two things that I always did with my youth group. I always took them to camp because God moves at camp. 
okay? Those of you sending your kids to camp, you're doing a good thing. That's a good investment. And I tried to take them on missions trips. Because I promise you, you can't go on a missions trip and come back the same. I've taken a bunch of kids on missions trips, and they all come back different. If at the very least, they at least appreciate what they have, okay? I remember one time we went to, um, we went to one of the border towns. Now, now, I would not take a group on a border town right now. With all the nonsense going down, all the, the drug wars, all that stuff, those border towns are not near as safe as they used to be. But I remember taking a group of, uh, of young people from Arlington, Texas. Okay, Now, these kids were pretty affluent. They were pretty blessed. Okay, They had just about everything they wanted. Okay, I remember we went to a community at the local trash dump. Let that sink in. Okay, This is a community that is at the trash dump. Now, Brother Bernie, me and you go to our dump, right? Okay, and there are times we want to hold our nose because there's the stinky side and the not-so-stinky side, okay? If you want to know which one's which, the birds like the stinky side, okay? I like going to the other side, okay? Because, man, those smells just get me. Well, can you imagine living there? I remember taking this youth group there, and we were ministering to people, and, and, um, and I remember we, we, we had fed them because, again, they were finding their food in the trash. I mean, they would go through trash, and it was really, really sad. And I remember at that time, Hunter was probably about a year or two old, okay? And I remember I'm sitting in the van, and I see a little boy who looked about two, and he's walking barefoot, okay? Um, had, a, had a little makeshift diaper on, okay? But he's walking barefoot in a trash dump. It just hit me, Brother Bernie, that I got a two-year-old. And in God's eyes, he sees those two-year-olds the same way, right? But I wonder today, you know, praise report, Hunter just got his ACT back. He made a 29, y'all. And in math and science, his total was 33. His STEM score was 33. I have a feeling a few engineering schools probably start calling, okay? But but I think about all the opportunities that my two-year-old had going for him. And then I saw that little child. Sister Josie, I just began to... And, weep. And, and, um, and I was just reminded how blessed we truly are. Guys, we are a blessed people. The children of Israel were a pretty blessed people because here's the deal. They may be having a few bumps in the road, but they're free. Remember what they were before? They were slaves. They were, they were working their, their fingers to the bone. They were, slave, they were slaves of Egypt. Now they're free and they forget why they're free. They forget who made them free. They gripe and they complain. Guys, let's learn a lesson from these hard-headed Hebrews, okay? Mama used to say it. If you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all because we are a blessed people. So why did I tell you the story about the little two-year-old? Because I used to take kids, if nothing else, they would come back appreciative of what they had. I remember one of those city girls, we... We, well, several of those city girls, this is a funny story, we, we go to this little rural church and we're going to do ministry all day and, and we asked about the bathroom facilities and they had a, a two-hole outhouse. Okay? Now, some of you are old enough to know, wow, that's uppity, that's two-hole. Okay? These little girls were like, there's no way we're going there. I said, baby, we're going to be here all day. You're going to have to go eventually, okay? And, and I do remember I had to go in there and shoo out any critters, okay? And literally, 
I'm standing at the door, and the little girl is crying the whole time. Jennifer, it was, imagine little city girls using outhouses, okay? But again, those girls, those kids went back. In fact, one of them is in ministry today in New York. They, they're doing a church plan. It's absolutely amazing. Again, that changes kids' lives. So, so again, um, we just need to be appreciative. We need to be appreciative of the blessings that we have. Amen? So the Hebrews, they forgot about that. Verse number four says something important. And, uh, and it's just important for us to be reminded of this. It says, the rabble that was with them began to crave other food. And, it, and they began to get the Israelites to start wailing. Guys, you got to remember, watch who you hang out with. You see, what was the rabble? What was this? These were the non-Israelites who joined the people in the Exodus. They influenced Israel to rebel against God and desire the presumed pleasures of Egypt. you got to watch who you hang out with. I know every one of you as parents have told your kids that, right? Every one of you as parents. I'm sure Pastor Ronnie's working that into his sermon tonight. Somehow or another, watch who you hang out with. But guess what? It doesn't, just, it doesn't just apply to teenagers and young adults. It happens for all of us. You need to watch who we hang out with. We need to watch how we talk. We need to watch who we allow to influence us. Because you know what? Not every relationship is a godly relationship. You know, I would tell teenagers this, that God sends people into your life just like the devil sends people into your life. Okay? And you need to be discerning enough to know the difference. Okay? Now, there's some ways you can tell the difference. You listen to what they say. You listen to who they glorify. Are they trying to build you up or tear you down? So again, guys, we need to watch our relationships. All righty, that's good stuff. So, again, have the children of Israel figured it all out? Nope, not even close. Now, let's jump down to Numbers 13. Numbers 13, we finally get to the big event. This is the big event. This is the big time. They're right here on the edge of the promised land. And in chapter number 13, let's start reading. It says this, Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. So all the Lord, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. See, the first thing that jumps out at me is this is not rabble. This is not just, oh, by the way, hey, we'll send Hayden. We'll send, we'll, we'll do a lottery. We'll pull straws, okay? Uh, paper, rock, scissors, see who gets to go. No, these are all leaders from each one of the tribes. These are leaders. These are folks that have seen the promises of God, that have seen the blessings of God, that probably have a pretty good understanding of maybe the law that that Moses is starting to articulate to them. They're leaders. They're influencers. Guys, that is so scary because we know what kind of report they come back with. We'll get to that. We know what um, what kind of decision they ended up making and all of them, all of them were leaders. Guys, we just need to remember that, that, that God allows every one of us to influence others. We need to make sure that we're making decisions based on faith and not on fear, and that we're influencing people for Christ and not against Christ. These were leaders that went to explore the land. Again, the promised land given to them by God. Now, we're not going to go through the names of those folks, because the truth of the matter is, um, we don't want to glorify those cats, okay? There's two of them that are pretty good. The other ten, not much count. Verse 17. 
Verse 17. Then Moses sent them to explore Cana. He said, go up through the Neglev and into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile, poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land because it was the season of the first ripe grapes. It reminds me of, I think it was that old, was it the old show Dragnet that the guy would say, just the facts, ma'am? Was that it? I was trying to think about that. Okay, again, somewhere's in this little... I, I remember, you know, sometimes, sometimes you ladies go into a little bit too much detail. Okay, Brother Bernie, don't say amen too loud because we're outnumbered in here. Okay, but, but sometimes you ladies go into detail. Okay, sometimes us guys go into detail. Okay, but um, um, by the way, that was for you, Brother Donald. Okay, <laughs> he was trying to tell me some technical stuff. He was telling me some technical stuff and I had that glazed over look on my Okay, but uh, but just the facts, ma'am. Just give us the facts. So that's what Moses was telling these these leaders. Just the facts. So verse twenty one says they went up, they explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo, Hamath. They went up through the Negev and and came to Hebron, which is boy, I love all these names. Which is Ahiman, Shishai, Talmai, and the descendants of Anak lived there. Hebron had been built seven years before Zon in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So far, so good. We have leaders. They're obeying the command of God. They're obeying the command of their leader. They've explored the land. They've brought back some fruit. Hey, we're good to go. We are about to go to the promised land, right? (sighs) Wrong. (laughs) Let's read what kind of report they brought back. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite company at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And in fact, my Bible has an exclamation point there. Wow, imagine that. God keeps his promises. Because what did he say about the promised land? It's a land that what? Flows with milk and honey. It's a prosperous land. It's a good land. So imagine that God kept his word, okay? But then, and then they even said, here is the fruit and I can imagine it was some pretty impressive fruit, Sister Annalee. I'm, I'm, if it took two guys to carry this thing on a pole, I can imagine it was a cluster of grapes and some pomegranates. I mean, look, we're about to have a celebration. This is God. He's kept his word. Man, here it is. Check all this out. This is going to be fantastic. Verse 28, but the people. You know, guys, <clears throat> whenever you put a but in something, things are about to change. You ever had your child tell you a story, but, okay? You ever had somebody apologize to you and then, but, okay? I've always said the best way to mess up an apology is stick an excuse in there, okay? But here's the deal. Anything added after but, but God will get you in trouble. So you know what? When I was studying today, I decided to look up the little phrase, but God, okay? Now, right here, it wasn't, didn't say but God, did it? It said but 
the people, okay? Anything but God will get you in trouble. Here are some but gods that won't get you in trouble. In fact, I think they'll bless you here today. Acts 13 and 30. If you're taking notes, just write these down real quick. Acts 13 and 30. But God raised him from the dead. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. That's a good but God. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Psalm 64, 7. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. I would imagine God's a pretty good shot, wouldn't you? Okay. Psalm 75, 7. But God... God is the judge. He puts down one. He sets up another. Mark 2 and 7. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Acts 7 and 9. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. Now that's a good but God right there, huh? Galatians 3 and 20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Ephesians 2 and 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Romans 5 and 8. But God commended his love toward us while we were still yet sinners. Christ died for us. Do you get the idea there? Whenever we say but God, good things are going to happen. But anything but God will get you in trouble. And what did I just read in verse number 28? But the people. Anything but God is trouble. Anything but God is a red flag. So let's read what they reported. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. (sighs) Woe is me. Boy, I tell you what, they really messed up that report right there, huh? They were doing so good, they were talking about the fruit, they were talking about the promises, and then all of a sudden they start talking about the negative. Guys, do you realize that we prophesy our future with the words that we speak? Okay? Guys, we need to learn how to speak blessings. We need to learn how to speak promises of God. Chantel, when she did her teaching on angels, says that angels are activated by the words we say. Well, guess what? I believe that uh, demonic forces are also activated by the words we say. Boy, there was a lot of fear that was just spoken right there, huh? You see, all these things they say, all these, but the people are large and the cities are powerful and they're descendants of giants there and there's Hittites and Jebusites and a bunch of ites. Does that change the fact that God gave it to them? Does that, any of that change the fact that God gave them that land? That God said, this is your land. Did it change any of that? You see, guys, there are times that we got to stand on what God says. Amen? You know, maybe you're in the doctor's office. The doctor says it's not good. Prognosis is not good. But God says he's your healer. But God says he's for you and not against you. You know, you want to know why my dad's doing so good today? Not because of any treatments he's taken. Because he's believing God. He's believing God. He's try- In fact, he says, God's got this. God's got this. I remember one time there was a man in my church in the Zalmans, and, and, um, and we were praying and believing for healing in his body. And, and, um, and uh, God chose to heal him permanently. And about a week before he, he went on to glory, I sat down with him and I told him, man, I'm praying for you. I'm fasting. I'm believing. He said, Pastor, I know I'm. 
and I'm, I'm believing too, but, but you know what? I thought about it. The worst thing that can happen to me is I get to go to heaven. And, uh, and he actually asked if at his funeral, I'm, you might have heard this story before, at his funeral, don't give me no flowers. He's not a flower guy. He's like you, Brother Bernie, you're not a flower guy. But he, what he said is, hey, you think folks can give some money and you go build a church? Because you see, five years prior to that, I took him on a mission trip. See, mission trips don't just change kids' lives, it changes grown-ups' lives. And at a 70-year-old man who'd give to missions his whole life because he was taught right, he, he had big old tears in his eyes when we dedicated a little church in the mountains of Mexico. And he said, Pastor, this is what missions is all about, isn't it? I said, yeah, it is. But here's what he asked. He asked one week before he went to heaven. He said, hey, would you mind if, if we collect a little money from my family and, uh, and we, we go build a church? And over $5,000 was given. And we went build a church in his name. And, and that was just such a blessing. But why, why do I tell you that story? Because sometimes you just got to believe God. Sometimes you just got to stand on the promises of God. You got to realize that, that, guys, God is for us. He's not against us. If he's given us promises, and he has. If he's given this church promises, and he has. If he's spoken over your family and spoken over, over you, and, 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 and if there's ministry that's been prophesied over you, it's going to come to pass if you don't doubt, if you just believe, if you are obedient. You see, the children of Israel forgot the most important thing. Uh, Everything they said in verses 28 through 30 were absolutely true, but it didn't change the fact that God had said it was theirs. Verse number 30, praise God for a guy like Caleb. (laughs) Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Guys, we need some modern-day Caleb's. Amen? We need some modern-day people like that, that are like Caleb who just believe that God is who He says He is and He can do what He says He can do. Are, are circumstances sometimes against us? Yes. Do things sometimes look bad? Yes. But will we make our decisions, will we live our life based on fear or based on faith? It's simple as that. That report, that report was a fear-filled report. You and I as Christians need to make faith-filled reports. You and I need to believe that God is who He says He is and He can do what He says He can do. And we need a spirit like Caleb in us. I see what my wife goes through now because it is 7.30. But this is a good place for us to take a pause, okay? Next Wednesday night, we're going to finish this. I believe, okay? And, uh, and then the following, Sunday, uh, following Wednesday, Brother Blaze Smith is going to be with us. But here's the deal, guys. You know what? We can make our decisions. We can live our life based on fear or based on faith. The choice is yours. I choose, like Caleb, to believe God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. Because you know what? Here's the thing about faith. The decisions you make by faith, Dawn, don't just affect you. They affect your family. They affect your children. You know, next Thursday, we're going to have a, ser- we're going to have a little time together with our senior adults, and, and I'm going to preach on building a memorial. Joshua chapter number 4. The Lord spoke that to me today. And we're going to talk about leaving a legacy of faith to the next generation. Well, guess what, guys? We don't have to wait till we're Bernie and Annalise's age to start doing it. We can start right now, Jennifer. We can start right now, Jenny. We can start right now. Sister Fisher, you and your family have left a genera- you have left a generational blessing. You've left a foundation of faith. In fact, you don't know this, but Pastor Ronnie was talking with uh, Paul Bradford. 
And he, and he was saying how he's connected to this church. And you were driving up and you were walking up to the church. And he said, oh, look now. That's who it all started with. Decisions based by faith. Amen? Guys, would to God we'd be like Caleb. Would to God we'd be like Sister Fisher. And we make decisions based on faith. Because God honors faith. Amen? And God is moved by faith. And I want to challenge you guys. Let's live our lives by faith. Believing God is who He says He is and He can do what He says He can do.